and welcome to the Final Girls podcast. I'm Anna Bogutska, co-founder of the Final Girls and your podcast host. Now, what you're about to listen to is a bonus deep dive review of Ari Aster's unclassifiable experiment in cinematic anxiety, Bo is Afraid. Now, horror fans, beware. This is very much not a horror film. So if you're expecting Hereditary, if you're expecting Midsommar, don't, because it's not that. What it is, is an absolutely hilarious, nightmarish, comedic odyssey. I'm joined on this episode by my friend and friend of the pod, Becky Dark, to dive as deep as we possibly can into the myriad of layers and worlds that comprise Bo is Afraid. Now, there is simply no way to speak about this movie without going into intense details, so consider this your spoiler warning, although I don't think you can actually spoil what was afraid, really. The film is out in UK cinemas today, and honestly, give yourself the treat of a three-hour big-screen anxiety opera. We're making an exception with this one, but if you're interested in more of our deep dive reviews, we publish them every week over on the Final Girls Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash the Final Girls. And with all that said, please enjoy our take on Bo is Afraid. Hello, Becky Dark. Welcome back. Hello, Anna. How are you, darling? Always great. Always energized by talking to you. <laughs> and what a film we have to talk about. Well, well, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I've said this already in the introduction, but anyone who tunes that out, just know there is no way to talk about Bo is Afraid without going into every single detail of the film. So if you haven't seen it, we're going to talk about the entire thing. Yeah. I don't... There, you're you're a hundred percent right. There is no way to pussyfoot around this film. I don't think there. I don't think it even counts as spoilers. But if consider this a spoiler warning, we're going to be talking about the entire thing. Yeah. So Becky, before we get into it, knowing Hereditary, knowing Midsommar, what was your expectation of Ari Aster's Boy Was Afraid? So I was hugely excited for it. I'm a massive fan of Ari Aster and um, like Hereditary is my favorite film of the last like 10 years. So I was well up for this. And in in the um, run up to release, when people were sort of moaning about the fact that it was going to be long and all of this, I was like, that's fine. Hook it into my veins. <laughs> Three hours is, you know, that is quite all right with me. Three hours of Aster is fine. So yeah, I was excited. Same. As you know, I also am a big fan of both Hereditary and Midsommar. Yeah. I, I'm just ready to watch anything he decides to put on the screen. I even, I really like some of his short films as well. Uh, I love his shorts as well. They are so fucked yeah, up. Yeah, and by some, I mean just like the ones that I've seen. Um, And I was intrigued by, well, first of all, the poster, which was very fucking off-putting. Um, the combination of Ari Aster and Joaquin Phoenix, who doesn't make light choices. So 
no. the combination and it Ari Aster does not make light touch films either. So the combination of two very intense cinematic personalities is just catnip for me. Yes. <laughs> and but then on the other hand, the first reactions, not so much the length of the film, but like the reaction of being like, oh, it's not a horror. I'm like, okay. Mm. But mm. is it though? But is it? But is it? Is it? And you know, I'm like, since watching the film, and if I tried to avoid most things about it before seeing it, I just went in really blind. Same. I went in completely blind. And I've heard since watching it, numerous interviews with Ariasa trying to define it, and numerous critics trying to define Bo is Afraid. And everyone's had trouble. And a couple of things mm. have always kind of popped up over and over again. So how would you... Becky Dark, describe the film to the to the listeners or to anyone who is unsure about what it is exactly if it's not a horror film. Such a great question. Um, I would I describe it as an epic, as like an odyssey film. I think that is one word that has yep. been used a lot. Like he goes on this odyssey in this film, um, a kind of multi-world adventure um and a dark dark comedy like i laughed a lot at this film um with this film like it's got such a wonderful sense of humor um and i like i say i didn't know what to expect at all going in i like you avoided so much um in the run-up and like I wanted to go in blind um and I'm so glad I did because I was very pleasantly surprised by like how funny it was and how epic it was. No I've heard the words you know the uh, a nightmare comedy bandied around and a nightmare comedy is perfect. An anxiety opera which I really like. Love that. A Homeric odyssey you know great absolutely and my favorite definition is probably has to be Ari Aster's own um, take on it in an interview he said it's a Jewish Lord of the Rings but if he were just going to his mom's house <laughs> which also tracks yeah there is there is nothing inaccurate in that because the, the plot of Bo is Afraid is very light touch isn't it it's a deeply anxious man called Bo who is about 49 uh, 50 years old is scheduled to go to his mother's house and as he's about to leave his apartment to catch his flight, his keys get stolen out of his door. And from that moment on, shit just starts going south very quickly. <laughs> uh, he receives a phone call at some point from a delivery man. Uh, apparently, his mother has been found dead. Um, then he needs to go to her house, but this time to attend her funeral. And once again, nothing is simple in Bo's world. And at every single point, there is increasingly intense and operatic issues that arise from him just trying to interact with the world and get from one place to another. So <laughs> perfect. Absolutely perfect. It's two hours, 59 minutes long, which seems also like uh -huh. a very deliberate length. I don't know why. Right. It's sub three yeah. hours, everybody. Yeah, it's less than three hours. You chill, everyone chill the fuck out, right? <laughs> Chill out. So it just, it feels very intentionally alienating in many ways. Mm. Tell me about your experience watching it. 
I think intentionally alienating is such a great phrase. It's like it drops you into Bo's world kind of fully formed. And it's such a specific vision um, that Asta has kind of created on screen. Like the production um, design is so detailed and incredible and a lot of the a lot of the laughs actually come like visually um from kind of visual clues um and cues throughout the film um so things like um his uh he's got like ready meals he's like he's yeah. like a lonely yeah. man right he's uh, he's a um, bachelor who lives in this amazingly designed sort of small apartment um in this really weird kind of threatening neighborhood um in an unnamed city mm-hmm. um and it sort of drops the the film drops you sort of into this world fully formed and you you sort of learn about it very quickly through Bo's interactions with the world around him but some of the visual gags like his ready meals in his um fridge is like it's called something like Oloha and it's like the perfect match of Hawaiian and Irish food like just like and then there's incredible graffiti um, like in the lift and on the walls in the neighborhood um and like I've read um uh interviews with Astor as well and this this story and this world has been something that he's been kind of creating for years, it was at first he was sort of thinking of doing it as his first movie. Mm. So it's been like gestating um, for years. And I think that's what makes the world um, that we get dropped into like so rich. Um, so, I mean, my experience was um, kind of awe inspiring. Like I just felt sort of swept along mm. with this story. There were times when I felt the length of the film, but never to the point that I was kind of clock watching or, you know, sort of drumming my fingers or anything. Um, and I think that the film needs that length to kind of give this story, um, like room to breathe. Um, and as you sort of move with Bo, like through these different scenarios and kind of different worlds, um, the the length of the film like allows you to do that with enough enough room and space to kind of like explore it with him like i i loved it i really really enjoyed it no i i mean i i loved it too and i loved the experience of watching it because there is a point where at least for me the expectations dropped you know, I went mm. in and I, even though I knew it wasn't going to be a horror film, like I let that go pretty early on, but I had no idea what it was going to be. And about, I think, 20 minutes in, I, like, all the expectations just dropped away. And yeah. I was, you know, I was in a, in a press screening and I was taking notes and I was also kind of middle of a front row, which is my favorite way to sit if the screening room allows. And <laughs> it was just enveloping. It was yes. fully enveloping and you it's a film that I think demands your attention. Like if you're yeah. just kind of half watching it, it will be irritating. It will be And you will miss so yeah. much. Like it's so dense and and full of like detail. Oh, yeah. Um all of which, you know, like you say, commands your the attention. cacophony of chaos in the first world <laughs> in this city where Bo lives was insanity. It was like one of those find find Waldo uh drawings, but in but yeah. everything was moving. 
in all different directions. And just kind of the the intensity of this world is this overwhelming sense of, you know, everything outside of your one square flat that feels safe, even though it's kind of derelict and kind of shit and kind of like just gross and disgusting and not appealing or cozy in any way. But everything outside of it mm. is like so much worse so much worse and all the details of how much worse it is are just you know there's posters on the walls all the businesses have different names there's all these different ca- like people on the street like this almost choreo- ex- choreography of excess that is happening on the street as Bo is trying to navigate it just to get back to his ready meal. I was like, oh, okay. Everything is in my throat constantly. And I just, I like this, I just need to be swept with the film. Exactly. And um, so let's talk a little bit about Bo because we spend the entire film with him and really in his head it's almost like from his point of view at least emotionally Mm -hmm. even though we jump through these different worlds these like six very visually distinct worlds and kind of almost you know sets um how would you describe Bo and also I mean for a man who's so mediocre why is he so watchable (laughs) he is mediocre he's he's sort of lonely and vulnerable and you know the title of the film is Bo is Afraid and he's like he's he's anxious and paranoid and you're right we spend um the film kind of in his head really or or looking out at the world through his eyes um and Joaquin Phoenix um like embodies this this vulnerability um and just absolute sort of panic and desperation at all points of this film um he's not a man who seems to be at peace or able to be at rest at all like he's constantly <sighs> like moving so it's sort of like emotionally moving all the time um and just desperately trying to kind of negotiate and navigate these this world that he inhabits um and yeah he's just he's <laughs> mediocre is the perfect word um but he is so watchable because i mean firstly because of um Quacking Finks's amazing performance you know he just really really embodies as well uh Exactly. Yeah. Just like incredibly watchable. Um, and he's funny. Like his, his reactions to these absolutely bonkers situations, escalating situations that Bo finds himself in. Um, you know, his reactions is, is funny. Um, he's, he's sweet in places as well. And I think, again, this idea of the length of the film sort of giving you room to breathe, it gives Bo room to breathe and it gives us an opportunity to kind of get to know him. Um, and by the end of the film, I was a fan. Like, I'm a fan of Bo. I'd hang really? with him. Oh my God. Yeah. I cannot imagine anything more stressful and disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> probably tells you not to jump ahead who I align myself with in this film. But, oh, yeah. But actually, like, there is no... Like, disappointing is a really pointed word, but there is actually, you know, the you're in Bo's head and you can empathize with him and he wears mm. his anxieties on his sleeve. He is 
he's a yes. bowl of anxieties, you know? And I particularly love Aster's cinema because it is a cinema of anxiety. Like Hereditary, Midsommar, Bo is Afraid, they're all told from a point of view of someone who has a, a like a basket full of anxieties that is yeah. just like jumping out everywhere. And Bo just takes it to to an extreme because he literally has nothing else going on in his life except reveling and thinking and marinating in his fears and his anxieties and everything is an issue everything is a conflict and you know it's like is is there something wrong with him or is there someone wrong with everyone else is the entire world mm. evil and conspiring against him because the film kind of shows us that they are like it, it yeah that's what i was going to say like you can you can believe that it is but again you know because we are experiencing it from Bo's point of view it's it's hard to tell how much of the kind of threat and um uh the the sort of complication of the world and his life is because of him, or as you say, because the world is actually out to get him. As, um, you know, there's the old saying, isn't there? Just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean they're not after you. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and even, you know, the, in the first world, uh, which is probably one, my like second favorite of the film, where he's just like legging it to his front door because there's someone who is literally chasing him. Yeah. And then it, all the little details, you know, there's a there's a news item about a naked stabbing man who's going around. And by coincidence, Bo ends up naked on the street and people think that he's the naked stabbing man. But no, there's two random naked men who potentially are <laughs> stabbing people. And then Bo ends up being stabbed by the naked stabbing man. Uh, and then hit by a car. Just like bad oh my luck God. and bad luck. That to like to to focus in on a specific moment from the film like the reason he ends up naked in the street is because he like <laughs> he flees his apartment from being in the bath and um that like his his apartment's been broken into and absolutely like trashed and he 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 gets in the bath and <laughs> above him is this like intruder like holding himself up like hiding but holding himself up on the ceiling like just above the bath and then he like falls like it's just it's absolute chaos and absurdity but also before he falls there is i didn't count the minutes but there like what feels like a full 10 minute sequence it probably isn't but it feels like that of Bo and this man staring each other down Bo naked yeah. in the bath and this man clinging on onto the ceiling like in a spider-man as his pose. strength like weakens yeah like, yeah, drop, spider -Man like pose, droplets exactly. of uh sweat falling onto Bo and no one is moving like this is this is a perfect manifestation of what it feels like when you're so anxious that you're just like not doing anything you're just paralyzed yeah exactly you're paralyzed exactly and he is paralyzed in that moment and we are sort of paralyzed with him like what is gonna happen what could happen now how is he gonna get out of this and then like he the guy falls onto him and they sort of wrestle in the bath um yeah like you know it's just it's absolutely like catastrophic chaos for him one of the things that really worked for me in terms of how this world kind of continuously captures Bo's anxieties about everyone around him is is just 
is the sharp cuts when he sort of falls asleep. Yes. And also the, it happens all the way in his, in his flat. And then the very brief, always aggressive interactions with everyone else and the close-ups. Like, it made me think of Hereditary and Midsommar, Midsommar especially, especially in the way that he zeroes in and focuses on Florence Pugh's face. Mm. Like, just this close-up uh, of a man in a kind of always in a low level state of anxiety and then occasionally peaking to a full scale panic attack yes or just you know being arrested and being unable to move and just having that very very close up on his face and joaquin phoenix like just is so unbelievably expressive yes in the smallest details with his eyes with his face with like even the way he carries himself I, I think he's a very physical actor so he's like you know what and i fucking hate that film but in one of the good things about the only good thing about joker mm. is his performance mm-hmm. and the physicality of that performance and he like shifts his body language so significantly with every single role and it really comes across here because he's like Someone heavier than he usually is, and it's kind of made up to seem a lot older, mm-hmm. um, and you know isn't very used to moving. And you kind of you kind of feel that you know when there's all these when he has to do anything, everything is a struggle. You know he's trying to get out of money out of his wallet. It's a struggle. Like everything is trembling, everything is wrong, or he's completely paralyzed, like in the bath, and and that kind of those those ways that he you know chooses to either cut really quickly um do these sharp cuts or to stay on joaquin phoenix's face yeah really close up or isolate him in the frame uh where a lot of stuff is going on you know and it's just it's he's like constantly jittering in this world that is moving in all different directions around him yeah you're so so right and um uh Joaquin Phoenix is such a, like, you're right, he's a physical actor. He can do so much with so little um, and so expressive. Um, and it allows us to see so much of what's going on inside Bo's head um, without it having to be kind of served up to us, you know, on a platter. Um, and you can you can learn sort of so much about his character just from the the sort of non-verbal performance, um, as you say, as he's just kind of reacting to this chaos around him and whatever sort of bonkers scenario he's like in in the present. Um, mm. And I think um, Joaquin Phoenix, you know, he he really picked apart the script and, you know, he was so keen to embody Bow and um, you know had a lot of input into how he dressed and how he spoke and um, you know he speaks in this sort of very quiet sort of yes. like vulnerable um, uh, sort of almost boyish. Yes, right? yeah, he he is boyish, very much so. Um, mm-hmm. He feels he feels sort of childlike, um, and you know a lot of that is sort of embodied in this vulnerability in the in the role mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, and Phoenix, you know, he, you can see the, the time that he has taken to embody Bo because, as I say, you know, and as you say, like just, a, a an expression or a movement, um, an interaction with the world around mm. him, 
um, just seems to kind of come so naturally. Like he's, he's extremely sort of convincing as this absolute bundle of anxiety. Um, and yeah, he, he sort of, that comes across so much whenever he is like moving and speaking. Yeah. It's just amazing. Amazing. It is, it is such a specific brand of unhinged mm, right mm. and for so long like i think it is actually a a big testament to the to the film and to the performance how much he carries our attention as he moves through kind of all these different worlds mm. right but i mean he carries the film but let's talk a little bit about the the supporting characters that pop up not his mum yet okay we'll talk about we'll talk about we'll get to mum the, the mother of it all <laughs> later on but I mean, every single time someone popped up in the cast, you know, you've got Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan Incredible. as these like this like random couple that run him over with a van and then take him in and embroider a silk some silk pajamas. Which, as an aside, you can now buy from the A twenty four gift of shop. Of course, you can. Of course, you can. Of course, they are the the, the, the absolute royalty of film reach <laughs> at the moment. Um, you've got Parker Posey turning up as his like long lost teenage love. You've got Dennis Menoshay. What the fuck? <laughs> As like a, 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 a like unhinged army buddy of the dead son of Nathan and Amy's characters, you've got Bill Hader showing up, but not really as the delivery yeah, guy. Yeah, that was finds... such a random like little cameo. <laughs> so, like, what do you make of the? Oh, of course, you've got Haley Squires pop up as well in in one of the worlds. You know, in the moment where he encounters a a theater troupe yes. in the middle of the forest. <laughs> So these when are, it these all are suddenly all goes animated, <laughs> yeah. So what do you make of the random and randomly excellent supporting cast of the film? Yeah, I mean they just add so much richness to the film. You know, it they everybody is um, you know hugely uh, like quality um, actors and actresses. Um, they bring so much weight even to these sort of smaller like ancillary characters. Um, I, it absolutely sort of helped to sweep me along, um, with, with, you know, with these sort of, again, sort of chaotic, but they're, they're sort of always on the periphery of his world. And he is just sort of being influenced and, um, sort of put upon by all these people. You know, he gets hit by a car and ends up in these people's, in Nathan Lane's um, house. And he's a doctor and he's put like a um, ankle tag on him. And all yeah. Bo wants to do is get back to his mum. But, you know, um, this this couple are, uh, we spend a fair amount of time with them. And they are absolutely mm -hmm. unhinged. Um, and that all, like, when he throws himself out of a plate glass window to uh, like escape them in the end. Um, and then he's like pursued by the, um, the sort of ex army man and uh, mm -hmm. then Jeeves. Yeah. <laughs> and then into the woods and, um, you know, this troop. And it's so, it's so rich with these characters and everybody he encounters, um, brings like so much to again just like arrest you arrest your attention what have we got now where are we going to go with these like nutters you know <laughs> it's never it's never distracting though and I appreciated that like I think it's really fine-tuned casting where I think perhaps Bill Hader was the only one that I found was like wait yeah what yeah what, the, yeah. what? 
that decision I, did I, bring I, me out of it a little bit. Yeah, but there is, it's also something that I kind of like about this, you know, it, it's, it's a weird film because you can compare it to a lot of other films and it has been compared to a lot of other films. You know, uh, A Serious Man, the Coen Brothers movie, After Hours, the Scorsese movie. Uh, I made me think of, Inter- it's not a good film, but Interstate 60, which is a random, again, like road trip movie with Gary Oldman and James Morrison. Uh, you know, it's been a, compared to like Tom Green films. and There's this absurdist level of comedy and of just like things happening and everybody showing up to play these really outsized characters for about five minutes and then disappearing. Yeah. And that makes sense in this world. Um, that that's that kind of, it's not stunt casting, but it is sort of, you know, what familiar face can we, I think they play this role of almost making this a world that we can, um, they, sorry, let me rephrase that. They sort of play a role where we can anchor ourselves to them Mm. because nothing else in the world makes sense. That is such a perfect way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's like, oh, there's Nathan Lane. Like, he's, you know, he's got us. We're fine. We're fine. Nathan Lane's here. Um, Yeah. And again, just like, the the sort of the weight of these um performers uh, then like you're right it sort of grounds you um while everything else is up in the air around you and like what are these worlds that we travel through so we have the city where we mm-hmm. start um and then we move on to the house of nathan lane and amy ryan mm-hmm. Um, where else do we go? So we go into the forest. Um, so he, he sort of flees the house. Um, and then he's sort of open to the elements, um, and finds this, um, troupe of, um, as you say, like sort of theater performers, um, who he sort of gets swept up in this, in this performance, in this story that then seems to be about him and his life and his family and his father and his kids and, you know, this, this sort of weaving of this story around him. Um, and this is where, uh, you know, the, the sort of the style of the film, as you said earlier, you know, each of the worlds has this very sort of distinct visual style. Um, and it's in this forest that they, we sort of find ourselves like in this animated world with, um, both sort of moving for, moving through it. Um, and really sort of beautiful, um, sort of almost like, sort of ethereal animation that sort of sweeps us along in this story. It's really beautiful. Um, we also find ourselves on a like cruise ship when we um, flash back to Bo's childhood. Oh my God, yes, the flashback. Yes. So we learn a lot more about um, his relationship with, his very complicated relationship with his mum, like through these flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also, this is where we meet um, Parker Posey's character, um, the sort of love interest, but as like a kid. Um, and he sort of becomes absolutely smitten with this woman. And she, he's she's sort of his one love that he's never forgotten about. Um, and I think it's quite important to say like, he's, he's a virgin as well. You know, we were talking earlier mm-hmm. about, um, him being sort of childlike and boyish. Um, and he sort of, this, this virginity of his like really plays quite a pivotal, um, sort of plot point. Um, and seems to, uh, sort of, engender so much of his anxiety like it's it's he's so pent up and he's got this like 
physical ailment because of it. Um, basically, Anna, he's got massive balls. <laughs> Which we catch a glimpse of at least once. Okay, can we do an aside about the massive balls? Yes, please. Because you and I had this conversation after the screening. So we, uh, you know, a little glimpse, you know, we were going to go see this film together and that did not end up happening. Um, You went to see it and then we hung out and we hung out a little bit before and then afterwards because we were at the same screening. And I think one of the first things that I told you when we were alone afterwards was like, when did you start (laughs) noticing the giant balls? (laughs) And I said it was when he gets in the bath and you said you see him like, do you see them before that? You don't see them, but I started noticing when he's walking, you know, clothes and I started again. I don't know. We've all got our psychosexual demons and shit. Okay. Bo has many. I'm sure we all do. So anyway, I don't know what it says about me, but I started noticing the giant balls through his jeans when I was like, wait, (laughs) That is disproportionate to his size. I mean, his size as a as a person, not the size of anything else. And I was like, "Those, that's that's surely deliberate." Yeah. Why did he give him giant balls? What is that? What role is that going to play? Turns out, huge role. Turns out, <laughs> massive role. Nathan Lane tells him he's got like hugely enlarged testicles, which is a medical problem. And then turns out that he's never come he's never in his ejaculated. He's never ejaculated, Anna. So it's all just in there. It's all in there. It's been 50 years. <laughs> I do not know if this is medically possible. I shall not be Googling it and ruining my algorithm. <laughs> but this is like a very on-the-nose Freudian thing. I'm sure our mutual friend Mary Wilde will do an amazing uh, commentary about this element of Bo's Afraid. But like, yeah, it's also, you know, we get more balls down the line. Boy, don't we? Um, Do you want to talk about the the penis monster, shall we? So again, to give you an insight into my viewing experience of this film, uh, I always take notes when I'm watching films. And I was taking notes during Bo is Afraid. And the last thing I have scribbled down in my notebook is all caps, giant penis monster. And then there was no more notes. No more notes. Because frankly, what else was there to say after we go into Bo's mother's attic? What is it with Ari Aster in attics? He's got a real thing about it. Um, And Well, you know, you can think about it as like, you know, it's the you know our subconscious is the things we hide way up in our brains that we don't access but they're still there and they do have an, uh, a knock-on effect on everything else and this is where she keeps Bo's dad question mark or twin or, well uh, yeah and and twin um and my soul left my body at this point <laughs> of the film I was like Oh, okay. This is what we're doing now, is it? I had no idea what to think. All of a sudden, all bets were off. Um, and the, the absurdity of the entire endeavor of this film just came crashing into me in that moment. But also, it's like the giant monster on the final level of a video game, right? Yes. It's like the, it's the, exactly that. the big bad, the final boss. Yeah. 
Exactly, because, you know, we, Bo has been fed this idea his entire life that his dad and his dad's dad died upon ejaculating. Yeah. So his conception is the death of his father, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm not a psychotherapist, but if anyone's listening who is, do message me your thoughts on this film. But, you know, he's gotten his idea that if he ever has sex, he will he die. He will die immediately. Yeah. So then him like killing this giant penis is a way, uh, I mean, you know, killing his dad, killing his fear, addressing his fear of his own penis <laughs> and his own sexuality. Uh, and, you know, and that is visualized via a 16 foot circumcised penis with eyes and teeth mm-hmm. and little, a little T-Rex arms. Little T-Rex arms! <laughs> Well, T-Rex arms, you know, and it's got a a giant ball sack, you know, that is, I guess, his legs. But, you know, then there's many other small penises kind of coming out of the balls. Oh, my God. I didn't notice that. So I think I think I don't I think that's what was in the original description. (laughs) I went deep into the giant penis monster creation. Of course you have. And yeah, one of the one of the designers, Steve Newburn, described kind of the original sketch that Ariasta drew for him, kind of as a visual reference point. Yeah, and he said there's a sack with numerous smaller penises protruding like udders. Oh, which you know, I didn't need the word udders right then. If that's not gonna turn you gay, I don't know <laughs> what is because I'm like this close to never sleeping with a man again. <laughs> Yeah, no, no one, no one needs penis udders. No, <laughs> no, thank you. Um, so, <laughs> like, but what, what did you think at this moment? Like, you know, I mean, obviously shock and awe, but kind of what, what did it do to this Honestly, film for you at that moment? Nothing, <laughs> as in no thoughts, just vibes. Yeah, it's part of. I think it's part of the Bo is afraid is experience wise experience right just let yourself be swept away exactly and like you can like i'm sure someone will over interpret this and over analyze this but also one of the things that i got from it is kind of an an instinctual kind of let's go in this direction Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. and there's many there's many details many elements in the film and then there's just giant glaring dick dick and balls jokes (laughs) where i'm like Okay, this is, I find it funny. Yeah. This is funny. It's funny. There's nothing funnier than a penis, and this has got a lot of penis. Literally. Literally. And you know what? I appreciate that kind of juvenile humor. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, because of the absolutely chaotic nature of this film, um, that, like you say, you know, we've been sort of swept along with for probably two, two and a half hours by the point that the giant, giant penis monster appears um because it's so chaotic and absurd um and funny and uh sort of fantastical um it does it should maybe feel out of place and weird and what the fuck but like it was all of those things but it also worked and like i respect that so much to (laughs) to be able to have this kind of confidence and vision to put this moment in your film that otherwise up until that moment like like I say like fantastical but not kind of to that level and then all of a sudden it goes to a whole new level yeah and you know we've sort of jumped way 
to the pre-ending, mm, mm. but we've jumped over the mother of it all, yes. Mona Wasserman, who is played mostly by Patti Lapone, who, you know, deserves a moment of gravitas and silence because she's Patti fucking Lapone. <laughs> We, I knew she was going to be in this because she was on a cast list, but there's something there's something that surprised me about her characterization. So, what did you make of her, you know, appearance? The mother is such a um, like presence throughout the film before we even meet her as Patty Lapone. You know, we hear um, uh, voicemail messages from her to Bo about his visit. And, you know, she's sort of saying that he's the light of her life. And you get this impression that um, it's quite a sort of suffocating relationship. And yeah. it like, she's, she's toxic, you know, like she is sort of hovering over his life um, throughout the film. And he believes for the majority of it that, she has been killed by a chandelier <laughs> falling onto her head. So again, we've got Aster with the decapitation. He loves the decapitation. He loves it. Um, Let the man live. Yeah, like we've got, what did I say to you um, after I saw the film? It was um, like, Fulci's got a thing about eyes. Flanagan's got a thing about hands. Aster's got a thing about heads. Like he just has to <laughs> lock them off. Um, so, you know, we we spend, and Bo spends most of the film believing she's dead to the point that this sort of elaborate ruse because she is basically punishing him for being a bad son um and you know sort of not not turning up to this visit that he's supposed to because he's had his keys nicked and his world's fallen apart around his ears um, and he misses his flight um and she she sort of creates this elaborate um punishment for him where he there's a funeral and a headless body in a coffin um <laughs> who is her housekeeper yes <laughs> so she's murdered someone <laughs> to pretend to be her and like paid off the family the housekeeper like agreed <laughs> to be decapitated oh, because patty lapone's yeah. like the mum um was going to give her family like all of this money i admire the commitment to pettiness. Oh, yes. I really do. Yeah. Fuck yes. Patty LuPone. Yeah. So, and like, it's, it's a instantly iconic portrayal and performance. Like, she is, you know, we've used the word a couple of times, but absolutely unhinged, um, and, and suffocating to the point that, um, you know, you, you absolutely believe and, and you, um, uh, sort of come to understand through the flashbacks and through um, their uh, interactions with each other and Bo's reactions to everything to do with his mum that, you know, she is at the root of so much of his anxiety and fear and paranoia. And um, it's like the ultimate version of the sort of overbearing mother um, you know, she reminds me of Mrs. Bates to a certain extent, like that sort oh, wow. of level of, you know, absolute kind of control and and influence on on her son's life. Mm -hmm. It's really it's really interesting because I've 
I've expressed before that I I kind of align with her almost with her intense disappointment in herself. Yes. But then through the flashback, through kind of, you know, the when we see younger Bo, played by the way, by an actor who I don't know if you as just as an aside, I don't know if you had the same experience, but I thought that the young actor who played young Bo was a CGI so version of Joaquin Phoenix. Did I? When when the post when like the cast posters came out, it yeah. was around that time um where everybody was using that like AI app on their phones to yeah. make themselves look beautiful and posting it all over social media. And it sort of makes you look like an elf and it makes you look like, you know, an anime and all of this kind of thing. And it came out like weirdly around that time. And it looks yes. this kid looks like an AI generated it human. does just unbelievable it's casting. Yeah. But yeah. there is like she ruins him and then she blames him for being so profoundly mediocre. Yes. And I found something really surprising about Mona as a character because I I mean I don't know again I think this is all intentional when we just hear her voice she is so guilt trippy mm-hmm. and so you know like oh okay oh okay you'll, so you'll you know, make the right decision I know you'll do yes. the right thing I believe in you sweetie but you know I will also remind you every second of your life that you missed this occasion you know Mm. i do everything for you and you cannot do this one thing Mm. this kind of like you know very toxic parent style of you know passive passive yeah exactly yeah but i sort of imagine not a titan of industry super wealthy type of mother like classy elegant Mm -hmm. wealthy absolutely savage really you know cutting in every single way i i genuinely had kind of a a sort of you know perhaps damningly a kind of an image of a of an overbearing kind of housewife you know i kind of imagine like a female version of beau but you know uh, just stuck in his head or stuck on his back yeah totally and like w- like she i know exactly what you mean because you almost expect when you hear her speak to him you almost expect her entire world to revolve around her son. Yes. You know, that that he is the one thing that she focuses all of her attention on and all of her energy into. And so that is why it's such a, um, you know, an absolute sort of outrage that he hasn't made it home for this visit because, you know, she's, Mm -hmm. she's sort of all encompassed in him. But it's not that she's got this entire kind of exterior life. Um, so it's actually amazing when you, you learn that, that she isn't just completely, um, sort of single-mindedly on bow she's got this in like you say you know she's she's a titan of industry and she she runs her own company and she's got this big beautiful house it's not that she sits there in front of the tv waiting for him to call every night yeah absolutely and that was that was surprising and it made bow's inability to function even more um, even more, it made his mediocrity even more mediocre. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Like, the, 
even though she puts all of these weird ideas about himself in his head and she is breathing down his neck and through just this beautiful sweeping uh you know shot of her wall in her immaculate house mm-hmm. i should say we just see how much she's used him in her massive business and you can see how she's like ruined him so but all of his you know his you know terrible flat his you know terrible ready meals his horrible kind of like you know you imagine this uh, what's the word that i'm looking for this like almost like derelict existence that he mm-hmm. lives you're like but you grew up there yeah with her exactly it's almost like he has sort of actively um rejected uh that sort of life and you know her influence but at the same time is still completely bogged down by it. So he's even failed at like rejecting it because he's still completely under her influence. Yeah. And it's that, <laughs> that scene when she appears oh my very God. much alive while he is losing his virginity mm-hmm. in her bed mm-hmm. To the tune of Mariah Carey, with Parker Posey, who plays the older, you know, the adult version of his teenage crush, who suddenly appears and is a former employee of his mother's. And I don't know how to describe this. His worst fear does come to pass, but not in the (laughs) way that he expected it, because he, he, good for him, he comes, but he he doesn't die. But she does, on top of him. Yeah. And it's it's one of the best sex scenes I have ever seen on film. Yes. It is perfect. Always Be My Baby is playing in one of the most audacious... On repeat. <laughs> one of the most audacious and perfect needle drops that I've ever heard. Um, and this sex scene is so, like, real and, and, and uh, touching... And sort of tender, but also like cringy, um, you know, as sex often is. Um, and you were talking earlier about, you know, these, these close, uh, these close ups on his face and you're just with him all the way through. It's this woman that he's been in love with since he was a kid. Um, you know, all of his dreams are coming true. The sex seems to be going kind of okay. Uh, he comes, he doesn't die. And then the camera <laughs> pulls out or, or, or you, you sort of go to a wide shot and she is in full rigor mortis on top of him. Mid-orgasm. Mi- honestly, I died. And then this is the moment that, like, the mum comes in. Oh, it's so perfect. And just... <laughs> I wouldn't want to see this film again for many reasons. But the primary one is to just pause, if I see it on home entertainment, pause on Joaquin Phoenix's face as he sees his mother watching him have sex (laughs) and have a dead woman's body on top of him while Mariah Carey is playing. The disappointment in her face. Oh my God. She is absolutely like... She's she's devastated with disappointment. Like And absolutely not surprised either, because she's like, you know what? I fucking knew you would do this. Yeah. 
in my bed with my pink sheets <laughs> oh my god it's just perfect anna i loved it i absolutely loved it <laughs> i cannot get over it i cannot get over it it is literally it's a freudian nightmare it's the moment absolutely that has played over and over and over in my head every time now that i think about this film that is the standout and I have to say, Patty Lupone's performance, when she appears, this is the first time we see her yeah. in like full Patty Lupone. She looks incredible. Yes. And she is so scathing and plays it so straight. And she said since then in interviews that she she didn't realize it was like a, a, a funny film. <laughs> she played it completely straight. She thought it was the best role she's ever been offered in film, on screen even. And it's you can tell like the absolute intensity yeah. of her performance the dedication to, to this to this part is at, like it rolls off of the screen but she is phenomenal in this role especially in that monologue oh my god so what did you what did you think of Patti LuPone's Mona and her just I don't know what adjective to use here because it is like earth shattering her monologue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, she just plays it to an absolute T as you say, she plays it completely straight. Um, it's almost camp. She plays it so straight amongst all of this absurdity and, you know, considering what she's got in the attic that we find out about, um, the, the monologue, as you say, is absolutely earth shattering. And I don't like, I don't even really want to say too much about it because it needs to be experienced. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that monologue deserves a trigger warning for anyone who has a complicated relationship with their oh mother because God. holy motherfucking shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, like scathing is right and just like, absolutely like she pulls zero punches and you can every like every line of it feels like a hammer blow or like an mm. extra pin being put into a voodoo doll or something it is just um it it's like the writing is unbelievable and her delivery is absolute perfection it's it's just perfect I loved it. I genuinely loved it. I was just, I don't think I could breathe. No, exactly. You are just, monologue. you're just wrapped by it. And there is something as well deeply sad about the entire film. Mm. I don't know if you got this vibe mm. as well, but it was this thing of, especially in the, in the animated world, mm -hmm. you know, an animation that was done by the way, we should say by Cristobal Leon and Joaquin Cotinha, who apparently asked her kind of, directly asked to contribute to the film after he saw their film La Casa Lobo from a few years ago and it, we see kind of this imagined flat, you know alternative life for Bo mm -hmm. where he has a wife and he has two sons one of which played by Malcolm Michael Gandolfini good to see him again <laughs> and you know you're like oh fuck but this will never be and it's deeply it's deeply tender and really sad, you know, this this brief glimpse of a life unlived yeah. by this man. I don't know, did you get this kind of sadness? Oh, absolutely. The there's, there's a real melancholy to it. And, you know, 
because like I say, I did find Bo likable. Like that sounds so ridiculous considering he's, you know, this just shell of a man, but he, I, I found him likable and I empathized with him and it feels like a film that is exploring missed opportunity and, um, as you say, sort of potential untapped and lives unlived. Mm. Um, and the, the animated sequence and this, this sort of alternative universe, um, that we get to glimpse is, is something that I think you believe that he would have wanted for himself. And it's presented to him externally. It's, you know, this is a moment of the film where actually you don't, you, you are brought away from Bo a little bit. He, you're not sort of mm. experiencing so much, um, sort of through his, you know, pent up anxieties and his, um, uh, interactions with the world. It's more, you know, it's this story that's being told to him while at the same time he's kind of existing within it. It's really cleverly played. And I think for me, the, the melancholy really came away from like, he would have, like, this is the life that he would have wanted for himself. But it's almost like he couldn't see that for himself. It has to be like shown to him externally. Mm. You make a really interesting point there because Bo is not a character who wants anything. He doesn't even want to go and visit his mother, but mm. he has he's to. Just, he's just, always... like you say, he's paralyzed, right? He's just yeah. absolutely in this sort of state of status quo and he doesn't, he, he's got no ambition or, or desire or interest None. in changing that. He's just, he's so static and he's only responding to things that people ask of him, not of things that he's never really guided by a want of his own mm, or so a desire right. of his own, which is like, which is, you know, usually you'd think, oh, that's a really static kind of character. Why would I watch this character not really want to do anything for three hours and yet because everything keeps moving so quickly around him he's never actually standing still or standing in place this for is too it long. this is it the whole film is this static stagnating man mm. and he's great word for him he's um like it this this idea of it being a nightmare comedy is it this is his worst nightmare you know the world keeps encroaching on his life like you know he keeps having to do stuff yeah exactly and and even you know he didn't want to go on this visit to his mum and she's died and so he has to go he has to get back for this funeral and you feel you know his sort of panic and desperation to get back but you know that it's something that is absolutely being imposed upon him. It's not anything that he's doing out of choice. And I wanted to ask you about the final world mm. we encounter. Mm. This like Kafka-esque trial that Bo is put on, put on. What did you make of the ending? And more specifically, what did you make of that final shot? how long it goes on for yeah <laughs> is that a like a, a final fuck you to the audience 
in the best possible way. Yeah, what? You mean like we've basically followed him on this epic odyssey. Um, he's, He's sort of discovered things about himself and his life. And, you know, he's had so much external influence sort of making changes um to his existence and he just he just sinks like he just he yeah. sinks and and dies and that's you know that is it i mean i think it it does feel like a fuck you to the audience it feels like a fuck you from to Bo. His, yeah yeah fuck you to Bo. and it's it's almost like his mum's like ultimate victory you know you you believe that like I can't imagine for a moment that this character of the mum is going to grieve him for a moment. Like she, I believe that she's going to be satisfied by that ending. I mean, is it is it reality? Is it Bo's head? Is it <sighs> clarifying? Does it matter? Uh, yeah, I mean, does it matter? I mean, I is. <sighs> It's as reality as any of his worlds are. And, you know, if we, if this is a film that we watch from Bo's perspective, then, you know, maybe it is just that he sinks within himself and, you know, gives up, you know, that stagnation is finally too much for him. And, you know, he's lost the love of his life. His mother has sort of revealed these secrets to him. Um, and he finally just sort of cracks under the weight of his, his fear and anxiety, all of which seems to have come true. You know, it's his worst nightmare throughout the entire film. And all of, you know, this, this is the thing. All of his anxiety and fear is kind of warranted. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of his worst, as you say, his worst fear come to come to pass where everything in his life, small and unimportant as his life is, really, everything is still controlled by his mother. Mm-hmm. Everyone down to his therapist is on her payroll. Yes. Everyone is there looking at him, looking down, physically down on him. Yeah judging him he's put on a literal trial in this cave he's floating in this like you know deathly lake or river on this little on this little narrow boat and it's like what you just the only option is to sing yeah he is he is literally adrift in that moment like literally everything has come to a head um and like you say like what what choice does he la- have left but to sing? Um, so, I mean, it was, uh, it's a surprising ending in a lot of ways. And then in others, it's like, it- it's kind of inevitable, this inevitability of this man just crumpling and sinking under the weight of his own existence. <laughs> and also, and I've read this somewhere, you know, and I think this is a very, you know, like, psychosexual interpretation but it holds weight as well because we start the film with Bo literally being born so mm. coming out of his mother's womb mm. and then everything becomes like a struggle <laughs> yeah, and everything goes downhill and everything is shit since he since the moment he is born and then you know in a way by sinking into that that dark lake he's going back into his mother's womb which is the only place where apparently he was happy yeah yeah 
it's perfect. It's, it's the ultimate regression. Um, and finally he's, you know, he can, I guess, just sort of crawl back into, like you say, this one place where he was kind of safe and calm and like before he started living life. Um, it's, yeah, he goes back to the ultimate kind of darkness, um, which you sort of believe he'll finally be at peace. I don't think you'll ever be at peace, to be honest. I think you'll find a way to be actually yeah, so in, right. so in hell or wherever he is. And before before we start wrapping up, I did want to ask you about kind of the, the reaction to the film. Because mm. it's been, you know, divisive as the world that has been coming up over and over again when talking about Bo is Afraid, you know. Uh, its duration has been divisive. It, the fact that Aster has kind of deviated from horror films has mm-hmm. been divisive. Uh, the the film itself, you know, its surrealist nature, uh, you know, its picaresque structure, everything about it has just been love it or hate it, or very much like I don't know what I've seen, and it's yeah. made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And because I'm uncomfortable, I'm going to lash out. So. I was wondering, you know, what do you think about other people's reaction to it? It's been um, like it's been quite violent in some instances. Yeah, it yeah. really seems to have hit a nerve with people, um, and I don't know if you know that's just people who have got complicated relationships with their mothers, um, difficult family lives, particular anxiety disorders. Um, but it seems to have really hit a nerve, um, amongst the audience. And like, I, you know, I know people, um, who like us absolutely loved it. Um, I've heard a lot of people saying that like the, um, the kind of first, part of the film when you're with Bo in the city and in his apartment is kind of the strongest and then it goes downhill um it sort of you know sort of becomes a bit meandering um I I think Asta's made something really um kind of like deliberately challenging and provocative Mm. um and you know so if that's what he was going for it can only be called a success I think, I mean, you know, I'm not going to speak for him, but I think it is. And I'm always intrigued by films that are kind of so aggressively divisive. Yeah. You know, because I've spoken with a lot of people after seeing it who were like, if someone who really liked it, it's like, if someone really likes it, I'll agree with them. And then at the same time, in the same breath, we'll say, if someone really hated it, I can also see their point. Yeah, I get it. I do get it. Yeah. It's not, it's not like I... So like hereditary, if you don't like hereditary, yeah. in my opinion, you're an idiot. Whereas if you don't <laughs> like Bo is Afraid, I I can like, I can understand why. Yeah, I can, I can see it. Yeah, I can see it. And you know, one of my favorite bad takes on Twitter, and I think I sent you <laughs> this, this is screenshot incredible. because it's so idiotic. Uh, someone tweeted very early on in kind of the US release campaign of Bo, you know, I don't suffer from anxiety and I have a great relationship with my mom. Oh, good for you, dude. Yeah. Uh, so Bo is afraid didn't work for me, which is to say it's a film that makes zero outreach to its audience. Viewers who share its wavelength will adore it. Everyone else will find it less than useless. 
this I just want like it's a bad tweet it's, okay yeah, in the, bad tweet in the immortal words of Kendall yeah. Roy it's a bad, bad tweet, tweet. <laughs> but it's like a the 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 conception that you have to be able to relate personally to a film is stupid. You don't have to. That's not that's not how art works. No. Um, and the other thing, you know, I was thinking about this after I saw this film of this thing about someone who has had such a quick rise and has been so successful so quickly mm. with his first two features. And has kind of aligned himself with a genre that has had a lot of success in the last decade. Mm. There, I I can almost like smell a certain viciousness in the reaction to the film that I think has more to do with like a resentment towards Aster's success than it has to do with both Afraidus itself. Yeah, interesting. Like, you know, when, when people are like sharpening the pitchforks before they go and see it? And then whatever it is that they see, they will just start poking at right. it. It's almost, yeah, like a, this sort of um, instinct to tear something down um, because it's successful or has become popular. Um, like it's such a contrary way to approach film um, or art and mm. You know, you're, I, I think there probably is something in that that, um, people almost wanted to hate this film. And then it gives a fair amount, like if you, if you go into it wanting to dislike it, as we say, we can understand why people maybe didn't get on with it. And so it sort of gives you a fair amount of material to hang this dislike onto. Um, you know, it's, kind of swings for the fences and is um you know absurd and surreal and really long you know and these are all yeah, it things, gives you all the things it gives you that, so much ammunition yes exactly that's the word but yeah i do think that the you know we bemoan all the time in in kind of in film world that there's not enough sort of mid-budget movies for adults movies that are demanding Mm. Uh, and then we get one and we're like well not like this yeah exactly exactly that's that's not what i meant what i meant like a mid-budget movie for adults about adult themes and that demands you know an active engagement from its audience like that's not what i meant i meant like the other way yeah exactly yeah you know uh, people um, sort of slagging off the homogenization of cinema, um, and, you know, getting cross that there aren't original stories and everything's a remake or a sequel or a reboot or, you know, um, mm-hmm. and then you get something that's truly original. Um, and people are like, no, I don't know. It's too, yeah. it's too much. Yeah. And I kind of, I really respect, I have no idea what he's going to do next. I really I think he's respect. doing a Western. Fuck off. Seriously. <laughs> that's what I heard. Oh my god. The Western's making a comeback Ooh. with Pedro Modavar's Strange Way of Life, Ari Aster's Untitled Western. I'm into <laughs> it. Great. But like I just I do love filmmakers who, when they're given the kings to the kingdom, they say, I wanna throw everything at the yeah. wall. Yeah. I might not I might not get this goodwill again. This is how I'm gonna in his own words, I this is how I'm gonna spend the goodwill. 
like I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin the goodwill that I've earned with yeah. two very successful movies. And again, like the, the you know the audacity of it, I respect it. I really do. You know, this yeah. is an audacious film. It's it's confident and ambitious, and um, I you know I loved it, and I think like largely successful. Um, it it knows what it wants to be, and um, it you know it really fucking goes for it. And we've been extremely complimentary because we both love the movie. But is there is there anything for you that kind of didn't quite fall into place with it? Um, I mean, I think I I think it did peak, um, and then trough, and then peak again for me. The, those sort of um, the bit in the forest, um, as beautiful as it looks, and you know, as as sort of stylistically um, impressive as the animation and everything is. Um, there was something that slowed for me there. And I know, you know, we've discussed it, this idea of kind of looking at a life unlived and this, this sort of melancholy that that section of the film brings to Bo. Um, but for me, it did start to drag a little in that portion. But then, you know, you get to the funeral and the sex scene and the, um, reveal of the big penis monster and I was all back in. So yeah, I mean, for me, like if, if I did sort of feel the length of the movie, um, that would be the kind of um, section that I thought, um, I sort of struggled with more. Um, but you know, then again, it has so much, it still has a lot of merit. Um, and I, <sighs> I appreciated that the film was as long as it was, as I say, because it allows you to, it allows these worlds to breathe and for you to, um, sort of really get to, um, spend this time on this, on this adventure and this odyssey and this journey with, with Bo's character. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I loved it, um, on, on so many levels. So would you recommend people go check it out? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it feels like a loaded question, even though it's very simple. It's such a, it's such a simple question. Like, would you recommend it to people? Um, yeah. I mean, like, I, I love this sort of, um, this sort of dark comedy. And I think, um, I think there is something in this film that, um anyone except that dude who did that one tweet that apparently it offered zero to i think it's got something to offer everybody um it is i can understand why it's divisive but i would like recommend like giving it a go and making up your own mind about it maybe go in with um I mean, I would go in a hundred percent blind the way we did. Um, which, you know, if you've listened to this, hopefully you've already seen it because otherwise we've completely <laughs> yeah. trashed the experience for you. And at the same time, explain, it will not make sense if you have not seen the film. Nothing we have discussed over the past hour and 15 minutes will make sense. So true. If you do not have this film as a reference point. So, so true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, yes, the, the, the short answer is yes, I would recommend it, um, because I think it needs to be experienced. Um, but I don't recommend it as a film that everybody is going to come away loving. It's a good way to put it. It's a good way to put it. 
Becky, is there anything that we haven't touched about Bo is Afraid that you wanted to bring up? We've talked about Always Be My Baby. We've talked about the giant penis monster. We've talked about the headless housekeeper. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We've talked about the best sex scene that I've ever seen. So no, I think we've done it. We've we've talked about the dude above the bath, which absolutely slayed me. Um, Absolutely. We've talked about Dennis Menachev appearing and running through the woods incredible like high on a on a killing instinct we've talked about bill Hader's appearance always welcome we've bowed at the feet of patty lapone honestly she could spit in my face and i'd say thank you (laughs) Uh, i think that i think we've i mean we could talk about bo's afraid for three hours but frankly i think i need a like a dedicated session with my therapist about it before going any deeper i'm like i'm like genuinely exhausted there were things that you asked me at the beginning of this chat that i was like i don't know how to answer that like literally you know this film defies analysis and explanation to a certain extent and i found this really hard dude Oh no, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, like that is that is a compliment to the film. I would say that is it a really to is. The film. It's been as fun it really as it is. always has, and I've absolutely loved it. But I mean, like, it's a difficult film to to dive back into. You know, you know, it's a film of giant balls <laughs> in every single sense. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I don't think I have anything else to say at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. Shall we leave it on the giant balls? Let's leave it on the giant balls. You know, they've they've taken up so much space. 